Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we want to talk about groundwork at Liberty. So tell me briefly what that is and why would someone even want to do this with their horse? Well, generally, when we say at liberty, it means that the horse has no restraints on him, no halter, no lead rope. Um, and so it's any kind of work that you would do without a tether to the horse. Mm-hmm. And um, and the reason why, it just it demonstrates a, a whole, um, what I would say is a superior level of connection with the horse that he is not reliant on the physical restraints of a halter and a rope and a bridle and a, and a whatever, um, but is not only willing um, to follow your lead and follow your directions, but also um, is very focused on you and very connected to the subtlest um, changes in your in your body language, the subtlest changes in in where you look and where you point and where you gesture. So Mm -hmm. um, horses are such sensitive animals, and because of their nature, the way they communicate with each other is through gestures and postures and and movements. They move together as a herd. So all of this comes quite naturally to a horse. Who it doesn't come naturally to is the people. Mm -hmm. You have to be very tuned into what you're giving as a cue, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the groundwork that we do, um, much of it can, maybe all of it, I'd have to think about that, but I know much of it can translate to liberty work um, once you get to the level where the horse is is not reliant on the restraints but is, is just reactive to whatever you're asking him to do. Now, I, that makes sense to me because you're doing groundwork. Can what you're doing at Liberty also apply and make your relationship better as you're riding? In my personal experience, doing a lot of Liberty work with my horses, both um, on the ground and in the saddle, we ride bridleless quite a lot. Um, yes, because it's very similar. The horse has to... You know, when you're riding bridleless, it is actually much harder for the horse because you have to pay much closer attention to all the nuances in your body to look for meaning for mm-hmm. direction because, you know, he's out in front of you um, when you're riding and he can't see you. When you're doing the groundwork, he can see you all the time. He can see your gestures. He can see when your position changes and all of that, but... When you're riding, he's flying blind, so to speak, because his head's out there, way in front of your body, mm-hmm. and he can't. He can now. He can. He can see my feet, and he can uh, see my hands when I move them a certain way. Um, but it's much harder for him. So they learn. The horse learns to focus on different things, and and mostly once the horse learns that. Your gestures and your body language and your position, all of that has meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, then he loves it because um, he would way rather get the cue to stop and go 
from a gesture or or a hand position um, or a foot movement than he would from you jerking on the rope or pulling on the reins. Mm -hmm. Um, So one thing that I noticed translates from doing liberty work on the ground to to riding bridleless is the horse actually has a desire, at least my horses do, they work harder when they're at liberty because it's almost as if they're saying, if I do this really good, she'll never use that bridle again. Mm-hmm. She wants to never use that lead rope again. And um, they, and then the horses love being trusted that much too. I, I see that. I see people unnecessarily restraining their horses on a daily basis, and um, horses hate that. And um, so I, I think it, 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 there, it, you are working with your horse on a whole different um, mental level and level of awareness when you do this type of work as well. And you're, from what you're saying, you're showing the horse that you trust him, and that helps take your relationship to a whole new level too. If not only you trust your horse, but the horse knows that you're going to give him a cue, whether you're on the ground or in the saddle, a cue that means something first and ask him before just yelling at him with any kind of cue or tug or a spur. So that really makes sense how that would carry over. Exactly. He actually benefits because he doesn't get the physical tugs on his mouth or on his nose or on his head or whatever. Um, but that that trust is um, it's bigger than you think because I, what I see in doing clinics, every single clinic that I do, almost every horse that I see, um, the horse has long ago or, or maybe he's come to this in the clinic, but he's, he, he shows you that he's there, he's willing to be there with you, Mm -hmm. and you're, but you're still holding on to him Mm -hmm. as, as if he were threatening to leave. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel very good to the horse. He feels like he's giving of himself, and you don't even notice it. So why would right. he keep doing that? Right. Um, so when I trust my horses, I always make it a point, for instance, when I um, change them from the halter to the bridle and back, I always let them stand there for a minute without the without anything on their head. I let them scratch their head on the fence post or on their legs, whatever they want to do. I might rub their head a little bit. And I cut on him a little bit to let him know, I trust you to stay here with me. I don't for a million years think you're going to leave. Um, right. And they, it's, it's, the, uh, that connection, it happens. It's a two, trust is a two-way street. I say it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. And And why would we expect a horse to do well under saddle if we've done nothing but just pull him along and drag that lead rope and pull on him and, and yank on him or just not even communicate when you're on the ground and then suddenly you get in the saddle and you expect them to be tuned in and engaging. So having that first and having that two-way street, just just all kinds of comes together, I think. Um, so let's talk about this. How How do you start this with your horses? What would be the first thing you would do to work towards liberty with um, one of your horses? Well, um, in all the groundwork I do, I'm always ultimately working towards liberty. And, um, of course, if you start in the round pen, you're starting at liberty. So when we work the horse in the round pen, 
Um, he's got no halter, no lead rope. And that's a good place uh, to begin. We'll talk about that's the beginning of the progression for uh, free lunging or, or doing liberty, uh, circling work at liberty. But um, the two, to me, the two really easy um, forms of liberty work uh, to do with groundwork is um, leading the horse and um, circling the horse. Okay. And we do that work anyway in in training the whole halter breaking the horse, training him ground manners, training him leading manners, training him to walk beside you and take up a position beside you, um, speed up when you speed up, slow down when you slow down, turn right, turn left. Um, so, and in fact, every clinic I do, we do this stuff in the groundwork, and in every clinic we I do by the end of the clinic. Um, there are quite a few horses that are already doing um, the leading work at Liberty. So um, as you, you – we're, we're training now in a rope halter with a 12 or 15-foot training lead, and um, we're doing a series of transitions. So we're changing speeds from um, halt, walk, halt, um, halt, walk, trot, walk, halt, halt, um, walk, trot, whatever, upward and downward transitions. Um, and you're using the rope as reinforcement through all of that. But the cue that you teach the horse is that when I, when you see me start moving, that means you start moving. When mm-hmm. you see me start to slow down, that means you slow down. So in that process, we're using the rope as reinforcement not as the cue, and that's the fatal mistake people make. Um, You'll never be able to do liberty work if your cues involve the rope. So if my cue cue to go means I pull on the rope and my cue uh, or go faster and my cue to um, slow down is a pull on the rope or my cue to turn is a pull on the rope, Liberty's never going to happen because you're forever reliant on the rope. So in the, in my normal course of teaching the horse lead line manners, I want that horse focused on me and taking a position next to me, next to my shoulder, maintaining that position, not crowding me, me too close and not moving away from me, but but finding a nice uh, position next to me, which is which is set by me, Mm-hmm. Um, I teach the horse where I want him to be. Um, so then it, it's it's an easy progression from there. The, the, the hard work is the initial work with the rope and the halter until your horse is very hooked on to you, until he's moving systematically with you freely and um, in speeding up and slowing down and turning. And um, from there, I like to progress to using um, a neck rope. And so... Uh, my neck rope that I actually designed for bridalless riding is also a very handy tool for um, an intermediate tool for liberty work um, on the lead line. And uh, basically, it's just a little lightweight tether that goes around the neck of the horse. And you, um, you, you uh, can take off the halter and lead and practice your leading and following 
with the neck rope, I just stick the other end of it in my pocket so it's there if I need it, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to cue the horse with my shoulders and arms and body movements. Um, but I have the tether there. And in very short order, uh, if you've done good work on your lead line leadership, um, then it's very easy and quick to go to liberty work. And the, um, the neck rope is a nice intermediate step or a step that you can use when you're schooling in a more challenging area, a more, let's say, a more, um, let's say, a bigger pen or a, a mm-hmm. busier pen. Maybe you're practicing mm-hmm. and there's other horses in there and you don't really want to um, risk your horse, uh, you know, causing a problem. So uh, anyway, uh, so that's the progression, the liberty um, on the, uh, for leading and following. And um, certainly now worth is... One second there on that. I just wanted to, to kind of add in there. So another reason that you call that the intermediary level is if the horse doesn't follow your direction, you still need something when you're trying to get to, to liberty to be able to correct the horse or have something. What's the risk of going from the halter to totally naked too soon? The only risk would be where you're doing it. And okay. the, um, obviously, you know, well, maybe not obviously, maybe we should start with a caveat that whenever you're doing liberty work, um, make sure you there is some confinement. Um, your horse isn't just going to run out onto the interstate right. highway <laughs> if something spooks him. And, um, and then so... For instance, with the with the circling work, if the easiest thing to do is work the horse at liberty in the round pen, circling, circling, change direction, right. outside turn, change direction, inside turn, stop, go, stop, go, change direction, and then take him into the big pen and do the same work. Um, he'll he'll call, at first he'll run big around the arena, um, but he's not going to run more than he has to, so he'll come to a smaller and smaller circle until eventually you can do the exact same work in a large arena that you were doing in a small round pen and the horse will be orbiting around you in about a, you know, 50-foot circle or whatever he um, right. he decides. My horses like to go on a bigger circle if the, if the arena is bigger, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, they kind of find the circle that they like, and, and um, so... Uh, we can also prepare for that circling work at Liberty uh, with uh, on the lead line by doing the regular lead line circling work. And, um, you know, when you first start working in the round pen and when you first start doing that circling work, it's more about, to me, it's more about developing a work ethic in your horse, getting your horse to move his shoulders in the turn um, and and all of that. Um, so we do that work either on the long line or in a round pin. Um, and then as you, as the horse becomes more and more compliant, whether you're in the round pin or on the lead line, that circling work changes in its flavor, uh, quite a bit to where the horse starts responding and reacting to the subtlest changes of position in your body or with your arms or you point or 
you uh, you start to turn heat and turns, and so it, it eventually becomes very fluid in your circling and changes of direction, and um, the horse starts responding responding to the subtlest cues on your part. Um, if he's once he gets to that stage, then you're ready to do it at liberty in a in a big arena. Just go in there, shut the gates, and start doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could you could start with the halter and the rope, do a little bit of circling, take it off, do it some more. And, and what's the worst that can happen? He's going to run around the pen or go stand at the gate. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you have a horse that's real gate sour or you have the arena set up such that it's it's really easy for the horse to get sucked down there, get a friend to stay down there, stand down there with a flag, and uh, just flag the horse out of the corner to help you. Um, but when, as long as you keep the horse moving in the big pen and do not allow it to stop, which means you might, re- might require you hoofing it across <laughs> the big pen. Um, but eventually, if you don't let the horse stop, eventually he just comes to a small circle around you because that's the easiest thing for him to do, right? right? And Make it when smaller does, and still be paying yeah, attention. And when he, um, and when he does, he comes on a nice circle and is paying attention to you and acting very compliant. Then you let him stop and rest. And you only let him stop and rest, by the way, at the end as far away from the gate as you could get if he was stopping there. So, Do you do any uh, kind of, is there any reinforcement at that point when you've done the circling and say he does head off? Do you make him move faster? Do you do anything to correct that or just start? Giving oh yeah, uh, just the same thing I would do in the round pen. Like there's a phase in the round pen where the horse starts uh, hooking on to you, and he figures out that if he uh, turns and looks into you and stops, you'll let him rest. Um, but then he turns around and looks at something else. So as soon as he releases that eye contact from me, I start driving him around the pen path. So the same thing when you're free lunging. Um, at, at, at any time the horse uh, um, loses his connection with you, turn him around and chase him hard the other way. Um, mm. Cut him off and turn him around. You know, if the horse was really running towards the gate, I'd cut him off from the gate, and then I'd stand down there maybe at the gate and make him work on the other, you know, drive him away from the gate every time he came back to me. So mm-hmm. uh, you just got to have to play with them. Sometimes you have to uh, call their bluff, but, if they if they go away from you, it's not, as long as you're in a confined area, no no bad can come of that. But you do want to put them to work. If they if they disconnected you and left, and then they got to rest and hang out with their friends, they would always disconnect from you, right? Right. <laughs> so as long as uh, as long as you keep them working or working harder when they disconnect. Um, then they'll they'll stay connected, and then but then the flip side of that is you also have to make sure you reward them by letting them stop and rest and praise on them um, when they are connecting and and doing a good job. Yeah, that makes sense, and it just brings me a few images of I think a horse expo where. The, you know, the evening performance was an amateur, and they thought they were ready to do just what you're talking about, except the horses got in front of the big crowd and just stayed down at the gate, and the person was the one running all around. So you do have to have to have that set up ahead of time that you're the safe place to be and that 
that you add that praise and that, that time in so that there's a benefit to the horse. Yeah, and you can, um, you know, you can do things like only let the horse rest when you allow him to come into you. So the middle mm-hmm. of the pen uh, and where you're standing is the resting place. Um, so then when you put him out to work, he wants to be as close to that resting place as right. he can. <laughs> and then he stays closer and, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Okay, so then what's something, you know, like you with Julie, you have such a connection. What would be the next fun thing to kind of elevate your relationship and, and work at different things as, as they're going around? Is there anything else you would do besides the, the circling in a larger pen? Yeah, well, sometimes we'll do some obstacles, um, so we'll kind of free lunge over the um, – sometimes in the winter, um, last winter I wasn't riding duly, uh, trying to recover from uh, an injury, and um, but I was wanting to exercise him, and so we started trotting ground poles and cavalettis on the free lunge, mm-hmm. and um, – and and that was fun. That and then I started doing counter strides, and I would, you know, make him pick up the counter at a certain point, and then um, counter through the ground poles, and um, you know, stuff like that. Was, so more than just yeah, but that makes sense. So the next level, so we move from the circling to circling in a bigger environment. But then the next step would be to maybe add in those transitions or ask for a certain gait or kind of have that refinement. Or maybe would you even mix up what you're doing with walking beside him and sending him back out? Just the more you can alternate those different things, does that show how much more your horse would be connected? Sure. Um, the transitions and um, then you can it, – it depends on how – challenging you want to work the horse you know certainly when you bring it up to the canter um you know when a horse is at liberty at a distance from you let's say farther than the whip can reach uh-huh. <laughs> um do you have the um authority over the horse to keep him countering mm-hmm. um and that was kind of in, in as I was working on the cantering the ground poles and picking up the counter transition at a very certain spot. Now we're working on transitions and cues. Um, but then the uh, the obedience of and the authority I have to keep him at the counter, even though he's at a considerable distance from me, I just use a flag. Uh, I, there's no way I could make physical contact with the horse. Um, so he's now working. This is where your similarities to bridleless riding comes in because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's working now not because of, of physical restraints but because um, he's willing to and he's willing to do what you ask. So um, you can do obstacles, but you can, you know, you can stay at a walk and, if, if if I were going to try to do more liberty work at a slower speed with the horse, um, and I, I'm now I'm thinking of some of our interactive members. Um, we've got a couple of women that have fjords and halflingers, and uh, they're a little on the lazy side. It's hard to get those, mm-hmm. uh, that that much mass moving. You know, I um, sometimes 
just getting those horses up in the trot is challenging their authority and challenging the horse's obedience because he's so lazy. So every horse is different on what's going to be a challenge. On the other hand, if you have a hot-blooded, wiry, you know, go-for-it Arab or or thoroughbred or something, uh, cantering jumps uh, at Liberty is going to be no big challenge. Right. But, <laughs> So you, you kind of have to combine all those factors. What is the what is the handler's ability level? What are the issues of the horse in terms of his compliance and willingness? Um, you know, it's it's good training we're talking about, right. and if a horse right. has not had good training, or if he does not have a super willing attitude. He's he's going to be a challenge on the liberty stuff. Mhm. But I think you've said it where it's the willingness, and that's the reason. You know, if you aren't going out on a trail ride or you don't have a big ride planned, this is something you can do to work with your horse and help that willingness and create that trust and and do something that's fun. I think that's fun to, especially if you add some obstacles and get to that point that you can do that. It just, you know, reminds you almost of a a circus act, but just not that you'd want to go and do it as a circus act, but to be able to to have that relationship with your horse to say, hey, I could do that. I could be in in the the fancy horse show or something. Well, and there's a lot of practical reasons for doing it, just like, as I was saying with Dooley, I didn't ride him all winter, but Mm -hmm. I was trying to keep him fit, and... um, so we wanted to just lunge in a circle, go round and round and round for 15 minutes every right. day. It's boring. You know, boring. And then, um, you know, maybe the footing is such that you can't really ride outdoors and the space inside is not quite big enough to ride, but you can do some of this stuff. Or, um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why um, people – aren't riding for themselves mm-hmm. or their horse, but they can still do this kind of stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's always relationship building and, um, and it's refining communication. So it's, uh, it's fun. I love that. I love that. And I love the idea that you're not just doing something. Cause I think horses that are just lunged every day, like they have to, like you said at the beginning of this recording, you know, you don't want your horse to just think you don't trust him or that you're not tuned in. And if you're just watching him go around in a circle, you're not building trust. You're, you're maybe you're exercising him, but you're not doing anything for his mind or your relationship. So I think that this, this adds a whole new level and, and helps you build that trust with your horse. Absolutely. All right, Julie, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm Heidi Malako. I'm here today with Desiree Johnson from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. And Desiree, today I would love to have you walk us through the different styles of your jeans and then tell us about the sizing. I know that you have quite a bit of range in making sure that all riders can find the right fit. 
So let's start with that first. What are the different styles of riding jeans and who are the riders that fit best into those different styles? What kind of rider would wear each style? We have three different styles of smooth strides. We have the real riding jean plain, which has absolutely no micro suede. So then the second style is the extended knee patch. And this is a pat, this micro suede that uh, starts at the top of the knee uh, on the inside and goes all the way down to the hem. And then we have the full seat which looks very much from the back like a full seat you see in the dressage britches. Sure. And then extends all the way down to the floor, to the hemline. And again, um, it's all washable and dryable. We have uh, three different lengths. We have 31 inches, 33 inches, and 36 inches. Okay. So let's go back to the real riding jean. Tell me who would love that jean the most. Who's going to be riding in that and find that the, the best style that you have? Well, that's a good question. There are a couple different reasons I would feel that a gal would want a jean with no micro suede. One reason would be uh, temperature. The less microsuede, the cooler the jeans. So if you live in a hot area, I would definitely suggest the real riding jean plain. And, and another reason is some gals don't want, they really don't want it to look like a riding jean. Mm -hmm. um, I know that a lot of Western styles, they don't want their jean to look like an English jean. You know, an English right. jean, they just want a blue jean. Just give me a blue jean and let me ride in it. And cost, they are the, the, the least expensive of all three. You also might choose that if you wanted to ride and then go into town and not feel like you look like you're wearing a riding jean, right? Exactly. Exactly, yes. But mm -hmm. it still has the features. It has no bulky seam on the inside. And, and what other features still would you consider making that a riding jean rather than a regular pair of jeans? There's no cross seam. So in the other two styles, you do have the patches that are in areas that are off the pressure points. They're very specially designed seams that won't interfere with riding at all. The special thing about the real riding jean plane, it is literally absolutely and utterly clean on the insides. Okay. And then on the extended knee patch, what did that one look like? The extended knee patch, I feel, would be wonderful for gals who want to not put on half chaps. For instance, I'm an English rider. I put my paddock boots on, and I don't have to ch put boots on and off at all. I don't have to put a ch half chap on, take it off. All I do is get on my horse, get off, and I'm absolutely fine. It's a reinforce. It's a it's a bit of reinforcement for the calf bicep that protects against the stirrup leathers and just gives you a little bit more stickiness there on your lower leg. Mm -hmm. um, it is, has a little bit more of a, a style flavor of, of equestrianism. You know, it, it, you can see it and it's kind of flashy, but it's not as big as the full seat. Tell us about the full seat. Who wants to ride in that the most? The full seat, I discovered, covers two big, huge areas. Number one, some girls want a dress jean. They want a show jean. They want it to look like a riding jean. Sure. It's fancy. It's beautiful. It's sexy. You can go out, wear them out at, for, as an evening pants. They're just a real beautiful riding jean. And the second aspect is they, the, the nap in the tack for very active riders, barrel racing, um, raining, you know, girls' western dressage, the nap really does help. Um, now, the, nothing can replace, you know, the leg strength for staying on a horse, of course. But the, uh, you know, dressage britches have that little bit of leather. 
after testing them myself. The little bit of nap really does help in the tack. Good. And they're warmer <laughs> for cold areas. They're That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, and definitely different seasons of the year you want that extra extra help and, and extra help to just keep you in the saddle, feel secure. Right. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out smoothstride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 